Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. We've got a guest with me on the line. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Volition Chiropractic. If you're in the Kansas City area, go check out Volition Chiropractic. It is run and owned by Alex or Alexis Buford. So if, you've, if you're an OCR athlete that races Kansas City, you've probably seen her at races. She usually goes up to NORAM or OCR World Championships, goes to some Savages, some Spartans, new chiropractor and uh, sponsor of the 2021 CTG Pro Team. So by the time this episode airs, I'll have had my first appointment with her. So looking forward to it. But I know her from racing and uh, very good, very knowledgeable. And, you know, back when we we're training with KCOCR, we often, we often ask her questions uh, for her professional opinion. So super excited about that. All right. Joining me for today's podcast, I have Andrew Potter. Andrew, say hi real quick. Hey, how's it going, Evan? Good. I'm going to breeze through some of Andrew's bio, and then we're going to kind of jump into a whole bunch of different topics. So Andrew's a military veteran, served in the 82nd Airborne and the 75th Ranger Regiment, also did three tours to Afghanistan, and then went on, uh, competed in a whole bunch of different things, ran cross-country in high school, got into triathlon, uh, got into climbing, does a little bit of OCR now. He's podiumed in every OCR he's done, only done a a couple of them, about three, uh, but still very impressive, and then also owns a co-owner of a business, right? ROKC, the uh, climbing gym, which is actually several gyms in the Kansas City area and has some other kind of side projects going. So, uh, Andrew, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Evan. Cool. So, I, you know, there's a lot I want to talk about and I'm not sure where to start. So, let's let's kind of start with the military stuff and then we'll kind of move chronologically through some of your triathlon and then into some of your business stuff because, uh, yeah, like I said, you just got a, a lot of really interesting stuff. And you're a great athlete. The, the, the only two times I've run against you, you've beaten me. <laughs> put a, put a pretty, good, uh, pretty good gap on me over the 5K distance. So uh, let's start with, um, like I said, let's start with military. So, you know, why did you end up going into the military and why Ranger Regiment? You know, um, I grew up, my dad was career military, got out um, as a colonel in the early 2000s, retired here in Leavenworth. Uh, and... I, I've ever since I was a little kid uh, from playing with GI Joes and moving all over the world um, and, and moving back to the States from 1998 uh, where we were last stationed, I just knew I was going to go into the army. Like I didn't, I didn't think there was anything else for me. Like that's just what I was going to do. And so my dad had gone through ranger school um, as a young captain when he was a commander in the 101st airborne back in uh, the, the mid eighties. And so that, that was just what I always wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to be an infantry officer. I always want, I always want to join the army. So, you know, I, I went to school at university of Central Missouri on a, you know, four year ROTC scholarship uh, commissioned in, in 2009 and then went straight through the whole, you know, rigmarole of officer schools, infantry officer basic, and then airborne school and ranger school. And, um, and then uh, went to, went straight to the 82nd airborne, um, and, and was a rifle platoon leader and then got the scout platoon and then went to Afghanistan in 2012 as a scout sniper platoon leader and then came back and the natural progression for me at that point was to find my way to the ranger regiment. So, um, uh, I, I actually made, I pinned captain while in selection for the ranger regiment, um, in, in 2012 and then, uh, spent the, the rest of my, officer career uh there did two more tours 
as a ranger and and a and and in the selection and training company as an ex- executive officer and I I did some unique roles overseas but that's kind of like the the big picture of what I did in the army and 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 why I guess it stemmed from my father and then it was just a dream I knew I couldn't be 60 year old 60 years old and look back and be like well what if I would have done that so uh it was just something that was in my blood and 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 you know, now I'm here today as a civilian, but uh, really, really proud that I got to do what I did. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, 82nd and 75th Ranger Measurement. Those are like top tier, you know, that's like top of the conventional force army, 82nd, and then 75th Ranger Measurement. I mean, that right, that's special operations, you know, they're especially special operations infantry company, right? They have a lot of very unique skill sets and uh, the soldiers in there are always top notch right yeah, backing up a little we've had mark Godet on the podcast who's a also a ranger you know and people obviously know robert killian spartan world champion who's also a ranger um kind of jumping back to ranger school take me through some of your kind of your mindset going into that i think this will come out right after uh, me and bobby ross release uh one of my the commentaries for one of my books which we talked about ranger school in there too so just kind of take me through some of your mindset going into ranger school <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll go into that in just a second. It's funny, though, because Mark and I actually ran, did a 10-mile run last time he was in town. Um, oh, oh he, and, did he, he, made it out, he made it out to see you Yeah, in um, September. He, was, he had come through, he'd come through for selection, um, and, uh, and, and we went and ran together. And then the, the previous time I had seen him was in Afghanistan in, like, 2014. I was flying through his base and, and randomly um, crashed, crashed at their outpost for an evening. Um, and yeah, and I, and I knew him because I knew I was one of the fastest guys in the Ranger regiment doing a sub 35 miler and he was beating me. And I was like, who is this guy? Um, so <laughs> that, that, it's just really, really funny. Yeah. That's good to hear. Cause he messaged me. We were supposed to meet up when he was in town and I happened to be on a work trip for that, those two weeks. So like I, I completely missed him and I was like, yeah, but if you want to stop by ROKC, one of the 75th guys there, Andrew. And he's like, oh yeah, I know cool so glad to hear you yeah so we we yeah we caught up and ran but no um yeah ranger school honestly like my mentality uh going there just totally unknown was there's no option for failure here like my if i if i don't make it through ranger school my career's over like i just there's and and obviously terrifying because of that not really scared of of what was going to happen in a ranger school or the tasks that had to be completed, just like so afraid that what happens if I, if I didn't get through it, you know? And, and it's funny because then I became a best ranger recycle. And so I recycled nice. for Welcome weeks. to the club. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I just pounded, I just like pounded like black and gold pickets like for like eight weeks. And I just remember, I just remember marching, every night at like 4am to the flag and doing roll call and then marching at 6am to the flag and doing roll call and just doing that for, it was just, it was such a miserable experience as a, as a, as a best range of recycle. But <laughs> for any of our listeners that don't know, essentially if you fail one of the three phases, they, they hold you over and you essentially do menial tasks for a couple of weeks. And the worst time to get held over is over the best range of competition, the competition that uh, Robert Killian would, would eventually win. Because it's so long, like you said, it's eight weeks, and it's eight weeks where you're essentially on lockdown in a compound, and you're eating kind of crappy food, and uh, they just have you doing chores like literally all day, every day, seven days a week. It's it's literally the worst. 
So. Yeah. So, so for me, honestly, someone gave me a really, really good piece of like humbling advice and I wasn't that humble of a human at the time. Uh, and, and so it, it was helpful to, to have this in the back of my head, but there were so many people much worse than me that had passed ranger school. Right. Right. But there were so many people much better than me that had failed. And so it, it didn't, it didn't matter necessarily how great or how good I was. It, it was, it was so much more about keeping your head in the game. It was so much more in, in some, in some ways about like timing and just, and just sticking with it. Because like I said, there were, there are plenty of dudes much, much better than me that, that didn't make it through ranger school. And it had nothing to do with like their physical fitness, their talent, their, you know, their intelligence, anything. It's just like ranger school is just, um, in some ways it's a, it's a, it's a game that's got to be played the right way. Like, um, you know, you've, you've got, you've got a lot of factors that, that, that happen in ranger school other than some of the physical toughness that, that comes with it. There's, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And so, yeah, that's what, that's what makes it scary is, is a lot of it's just out of your control. Yeah. I used to say it's like a third year skill, a third, uh, greater roulette slash kind of like which patrol you get. And then like a third, yep. who is your, who's graded with you, right? Because there's usually like two other guys or maybe depending on what phase, right? Like maybe three or four that are graded at the same time. And if those guys aren't doing well, then you're not going to do well because you can't, you can't carry everyone's weight. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I failed in Florida phase. I failed the best lane I had, the best lane I ever had. I was like, there's no way I failed this lane. And he literally told me, he was like, you were the worst ranger I've ever <laughs> seen. And I was just like... <laughs> It was 4th of July. I remember because I'm getting like straight failed and there's yeah. fireworks going off in the background. And I was like, this is such <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> that sounds like my, my, my first go at Darby. I had straight, like he straight up failed me. Like everything was awful. According to him. I was like, uh, I thought that was actually a pretty good patrol, but whatever. All right. And I loved, I loved your, you're talking about the pressure going into it. You know, for me, that was the most pressure I feel like I've ever felt in my entire life because I feel like my whole world revolved around ranger school at that time. And it was just like, you know, if this, if this falls apart, you know, like, what do I do next? So, um, and I talk about that in my my biography, like when I go into, you know, some people have like performance anxiety when they go into races, like, which, you know, you get a little bit of that, but like, it was nothing compared to ranger school to me. That was the, um, that, that was more pressure than combat. That was more pressure than, than everything. It was like, my whole world was at like at that single point. And, and like you said, it's sometimes frustrating because you don't have complete control over what's going on. Yeah, for sure. All right. Awesome. Well, so you passed that obviously 82nd. Let's talk a little bit about Ranger Regiment before we start getting into some of your physical stuff. You know, take me through kind of the more focused on the mindset here. Take me through some, some of like the, the average or some of the people you've met in Ranger Regiment and kind of w- what their mindset is, whether that be in training or combat. Well, the funny thing is like, um, when I look at myself, like I was a, I was a very high performer, um, you know, coming from the 82nd and getting opportunity to go to the Ranger Regiment. And then I show up there and I'm, I'm legitimately like low man on the totem pole. I, it's the first place I am at where literally all my peers, many of them are like leaps and bounds ahead of me. Everybody's just so talented. Everybody's just so on point. And then you look at the guys to your right and your left. And not only does everybody care an extreme amount about what they're doing every day, they're very freaking good at it. You've got 
privates and specialists who have already done three tours to Afghanistan. They've got their Ranger tab, their scroll, their Ranger combat scroll. Like they've done, there's so much more experience than you like in, in combat. And so mentality wise, you're going in um, into a unit where your platoon sergeant might have 10 or 12 deployments to Afghanistan. So you're in some ways you're so far behind and so overwhelmed um, with, you know, the, the people around you, but you're also, you know, motivated and inspired because everyone around you is, is freaking rock solid. Everyone around you is so good at their job and so good at what they do. And yeah, you know, every, every unit, every organization, there are people that aren't that great, but it, it was, it's on a different level in the Ranger regiment. Like the standards are so high. It's the only place. And, and I was at, I was at in the selection and training company. So we ran RASP and RASP two. It's the only place I've seen a battalion commander get literally get chosen for battalion command and then fail the ruck march. And they say, Hey, you're a non-select and literally turn a battalion commander away and say, you are not getting this battalion because so if anyone getting a battalion command is obviously a big deal. Um, that's, it's a very hard position to get and getting one of Ranger regiment is like very, very hard, right? Like that's, that's like the battalion. If you're an infantry officer, that's like the battalion command to get essentially. That's yeah. my opinion, you know? And, and I feel like there's plenty of places in the army where um, you don't necessarily seek perfection from a battalion commander. And, you know, if, if they don't have, if, if they're not perfect, like there's things that you can get by with and, it, and right. it's not a big deal. Like you don't care if your battalion commander is the fastest 12 mile road marcher. And in the Ranger Regiment, they're like, no, we do care. Like, <laughs> we, we do care that you are literally the best at everything you do or you can, like, beat feet. Like, go, go find somewhere else to command. And, and so the standards are so high there. Um, it's, it was always high pressure, always high pressure. Going in, like, from a mentality perspective, it was – I mean, selection alone is freaking terrible just from the perspective of – Mentally, you never know where you're at. Well, you get to the Ranger Regiment, and there is a there's an extreme expectation to perform at all times, and and you want that. You want that for yourself. You want that for your soldiers. And then you're going overseas and doing some of the most challenging missions. So the the beautiful part is the the team that's surrounding you is so talented. It's hard not to perform. Um, but then also, it's like platoon leaders are getting fired left and right in training cycles because they screwed up a squad live fire. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's always 10 dudes in line behind you that are, that are probably better than you that are ready to take your spot because the dream is, you know, to be that ranger platoon leader taking a team to combat. And, and, and so it's very high pressure, but the talent level is just like absolutely through the roof because it, there, there's such a desire to perform. And, and I, I don't know, to an extent, I really loved that. I loved the fact that I was going into a unit where everybody really, really, you know, cared about what they were doing, really, really gave it 110% every day. And, and, and that's what made it really special. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you have everyone pulling their weight and then some, it, 
it pull it pulls the average up, but then people who like maybe starting to slack realize that they can't slack and they they start performing higher too. You know, it's a it's an intense work environment. But or you it, or you or or they get RFS like yes, they just get yes. released from the unit. Like bye. Like I mean, they don't. The Ranger Regiment doesn't play around. Like they 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 let guys go every day for not meeting standards. Yeah, that's that's one of the benefits you have over the regular army where they. There's usually not too many places to send people out of a, out of, out of a conventional army unit versus a ranger regiment. No, not without like nine months of remedial training and, and paperwork, a, a whole yeah. stack of paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to prove that you've tried literally everything. And like you say, because there's a, a line of guys waiting in line, it's like, well, I'll just take grab the next guy who's competent and hasn't stepped on his, you know what, yet. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Gotcha. And uh, just for people's reference, how long are the normal Ranger Regiment deployments like when you were there? Uh, six to nine months. Uh, just just depends. Uh, for me, uh, being I, not being a Ranger platoon leader, but being um, in both the Special Troops Battalion, but also being in Selection and Training Company uh, for our officers, our executive officers and our operations office, officers, it was like it, it was kind of like where they needed a warm body. So it was like, we got some like pretty neat specialty assignments and I can't really go into some of the things that I, I got right. the opportunity to do, but basically it was like, Hey, you know, the reconnaissance company is doing this special mission and we need an officer to go over and be a part of it. And, um, you know, selection training company's got an officer, so we're going to send them. And, and so we got to do some really, really cool stuff because of that. Um, but it was really unique compared to, you know, um, doing target strikes with a, with a, with a rifle platoon in a, in a line battalion. Nice. Cool. Sounds like some great opportunities. So the, the first time I met you was actually at the ROKC gym Olathe and um, Jenny Overstreet, one of our, my CTG teammate introduced me to you. And I saw you had a 70, you have a 75th Ranger regiment um, tattoo on your forearm. And like, without asking you anything else, I was like, oh, what battalion were you in? And I could see her being like, what is he? You know, and like, we just started rambling off like, you know, military acronyms and back and forth. Uh, I just thought it was really amusing at the time, you know, because. Yeah, it's funny. I, um, I, I, it's actually, yeah, it's on my bicep. It's the DUI. Yeah. And I think the reason I like it is because for the most part, most people just think it's a family crest. Nobody, yes. nobody really understands it. But if you see it and you understand it, then you understand it. And 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 that's what I really appreciate about it is most guys who weren't like in special operations somehow probably just don't know what it means. Right. I would say even the conventional army, like not every you you probably have to be an infantry guy uh, to even know what that means, and you probably have to be a fairly motivated infantry guy. You know. Yeah, that's true. That's very right, true. Like, because I've had people in um in the conventional army ask me questions and my teammates questions about special forces, and I was like have you read a book? Like, they'd be like, how many people have you strangled? And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, I'm not strangling anyone. Like <laughs> if I'm strangling someone, like things have gotten way out of hand. Like, and especially as an alt, right? Like think we, we are several la- layers deep into like the, you know, things have gone severely wrong at that point. Um, yeah. But it's just, oh yeah. You know, and they're, they're just like, so you, you, they, like they basically see Rambo and they're like, well, that's what you do. And it's like, well, well, no, I mean, yes rambo is a green beret but like it's a lot more complicated than that you don't just like run around shooting things right there's 
Well, it's like it's like it's like people thinking that dudes in the CIA are Jason Bourne, Correct. and I'm like, yeah, actually, most of those guys are nerds, like huge nerds, yeah, yeah. super good dudes, super intelligent Agreed. dudes, but not not operators. Like it's different. Yeah, very different. Yeah, it's and there's a uh, it's a lot of paperwork over there. <laughs> Everything is paperwork. So much oh, paperwork. Yeah. All right, let's um, let's start jumping into some of your athletic stuff, right? So, you know, kind of. I, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but you know, how did how did you find triathlon and kind of take me through your athletic journey there? Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, a buddy of mine, uh, Tom, who's actually here in town now. He's a he's an ODA commander out in the Springs, and he's in town. Uh, just got here a week or two ago, and um, and and we were both stationed in uh, Fort Benning at the same time. And he was a big cyclist, just monster quads. Um, and so he got me into a little biking. He was like, yo, let's do, a, let's do this half Ironman together. And I was just like, when is it? And he was like, eight weeks. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I traded in my mountain bike and I picked up a Surveo S5, which is, it's nice because it's got an aero frame, but it's still a road bike. So I could put some clip-on aero bars on it and race it but then I could still go ride in groups with cyclists. Cause I didn't have, I didn't have, you know, uh, shifters in the, in the, in the aero bars, they were still on the horns. And so I, I could basically buy one bike and do multiple things with it. And we started riding together. He started pushing me and I was at the time, like I was still a, a quick runner. I was still running, you know, um, uh, sub 1635 K's and, and, and sub 30 minute, five miles. And, and so uh, we went and did this, this first, uh, first half iron together there in Fort Benning and, and, it, and it swam down the Chattahoochee River. And I mean, I'm a, single, I'm a single captain at the time. So it's like, I have nothing better to do with my life except just be fit. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so we just trained our faces off. And um, like my goal is to win the race and Tom's goal was just to win the bike. He didn't get, he didn't care about anything as long as he had the fastest bike time, which he got, um, he got the fastest bike time. Um, and I think I ended up taking second. I might've, I might've taken third, but I know, I know I podium overall. And I just remember I had a four or five minute lead eight miles into the run of the half marathon. And my gut just turned upside down. Like I just, I folded like a lawn chair. It was bad. Um, I had never done, you know, a, uh, I, I broke five hours in that race and I think I was like low four fifties, but I, I, I had never done a race, like basically a, a four plus hour race. And so I didn't understand nutrition and I was just like eating whatever on the run and stuff. And it just crushed me. And then because of that, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, one, I should have won this race. Two, like what just happened to me? Like I had, I had done so well and it collapsed. Like I have to do this again. Like I have to redeem myself. So I started, I started picking up sprint races and going and um, I podium in another uh, sprint up in, uh, up in Atlanta. And then like, I just kept picking up races and I did the same race the next year. And I think I, I cut maybe 20 minutes off my time. Um, I, I, I can't remember if I broke 430 or not, but I believe I did. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, triathlon just became something that I really enjoyed. And then my goal was to qualify for Kona, um, at, uh, man, what was it? Uh, Savannah, the, not, is it Savannah? Savannah's got a, an Ironman, an Ironman, uh, qualifier there, I believe. And, uh, I'm a, I'm not a great swimmer and it's a, it's a downriver swim. Um, and so I wanted to go to Savannah and qualify. And so I signed up for the race was going to go. And then I got picked up for a, a, a deployment and I had been training, training, training. And I got picked up for a deployment last minute, like a month before the race. And I got sent to Afghanistan. So I missed, um, I, I missed that race. And then, uh, coming back, I, I never really got back into the half iron distance. You know, I started starting businesses and, um, and I got married and started a family and it, the volume of training you have to put in with three sports to be able to do that is just too much. So I've still been racing sprints. Um, I, I especially do, uh, the Jeremy Katzenberg every single year. Um, yeah. uh, I, I still do it, do it every year. Great race. Um, and I do the Spencer C. Duncan, that's a 5k, but, um, uh, the Duncan family are some good good friends of mine, and um, so for, I, and for I, our listeners, the if you go back and listen to those like bonus episode four, I think it was, we had uh, Colleen Katzenberg, Jeremy's wife, on the podcast, and she talked about uh, the loss of her husband Jeremy. Um, so, and then I also work with his co or his brother is my coworker. His name is Ben. So a lot of personal connections there, and I know there's a good story about you and that triathlon. We'll we'll get to that in a minute though. Yeah, no, those guys are, that, what a good family. Um, and, and so for me now racing, racing is more about like competing and just having fun and getting out there with friends and then like, you know, supporting my fallen brothers. Um, and, and so I, I've continued to race some, but uh, not, nothing, nothing too crazy anymore these days. Um, I just, you know, with two kids and a family, um, it's, it's hard to, to put the volume in. I, I probably, I, I probably won't get back to the half iron distance to be honest, because it's just so much work. Yeah. So the one, tell people what your half iron PR is time. Uh, I, I believe I was right under, right under four and a half hours. Yeah. Fast. The answer is very fast. <laughs> um, I know I was like, like, you know, 20, between 23 and 24 miles per hour on the bike um either sub seven or low sevens seven miles for the run and then uh the swim uh i know i was in the 120s for hundreds you know it was but i mean i think it was i was in a wetsuit down river so there's a definitely a little bit of cheating there i'm not that fast of a swimmer so and i I love your um essentially one of your military friends is like hey let's do a half iron in eight weeks like that's typical military like hey i found this race <laughs> so true you know it's like i found this race and it's like when is it it's like i don't know it's like a month away and you're like cool let's in let's do it you know like <laughs> you want to go to- you want to go do it and do dumb stuff yeah yeah just like totally it. winging it totally relying on like willpower and whatever brute strength you've built up over the last couple of years um it's just so stereotypical it's just it just sounds like everyone i hung out with uh for like the first 10 years of my career right it's just you know right on par there and then the military, you know, getting in the way of uh, races and stuff like that. That's uh, also a common trait. So for anyone who thinks the military is a perfect place to be an athlete, you know, parts of it 
are definitely helpful, but then there's other parts, especially when you're in uh, more of a junior position where you're deploying and, you know, especially for your time frame, you know, when the more the both wars were going a little more full steam, you know, that's uh, it's a busy time. So, yeah, let's, so take me, um, you know, what lessons could you take from combat and, or military and apply them to uh, racing, whether it be triathlon or OCR, just kind of, or competing in general? You know, um, it's actually, I have, a, I have a handful of really good lessons. Um, when I was in the Ranger Regiment, I weighed like 187 pounds, and I was just like yoked. I was <laughs> so like jacked. All we did was like eat quality food and work out hard, you know, and be really fit. And, um, but what I realized when it comes to like racing and, and, and doing OCR or anything is it was, uh, it was a, an extreme challenge for me to maintain that level of fitness and that size. Um, cause it really wasn't my natural, it wasn't my like natural walk around weight. Now today I weigh like 170, you know, um, I'm, I'm quite a bit lighter, uh, and it's so much easier for me to be faster and leaner and, and feel more comfortable and not, and I don't have to work nearly as hard to like maintain. And, um, and I think what's really funny is we would always get like jacked before deployment, you know, everybody work out super hard, get in good shape. And then I'd go on this deployment and I'd lose like 10, 12 pounds because my body was like, what are you doing with all this extra garbage, all this extra weight on you that you don't need or use? And what I found is for me to be the, my best self, my best athlete, instead of trying to like maintain a size, I really just try and maintain like my, my just natural walk around weight. Instead of trying like try and stay as lean as possible from the perspective of, um, you know, maintaining like a, like a high density. So I want to be pound for pound as light as I can be, as strong as I can be. Whereas in the past, it was like, man, all these dudes in the range regiment around, all these NCOs and guys I'm around are just like huge. They're jacked. They're super strong. I've got to be like that. I don't want to be like the skinny ranger regiment captain, you know? Um, but what I realized as an athlete, it was like such a deterrent for me because whether it's like moving up mountains or running or doing OCR and then especially transferring into rock climbing, like that extra 12 pounds you have to carry around, like that's a lot of weight across a 30 mile run, or that's a lot of weight you're pulling up that rope or that wall that you got to jump over. And so what I realized is I can actually be almost as strong as I was, um, not, not quite as strong, but almost as strong as I was and be lighter and faster and, and, and have an easier time doing it. So that was my like big takeaway from going to war at, from an athlete perspective is I didn't need that extra mass or that extra muscle um, or that extra size for basically to be my best self, my, the best version of me being an athlete. Gotcha. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely some good advice. And you know, I I've purposely cycled up my weight and down several times for kind of bodybuilding, powerlifting, then I more OCR. And I found like you said, a lot of that strength stays. You you definitely lose some, but it's not as much as you would think. Um, you, your your mind and your muscles remember how to do certain movements and can retain a lot of that strength, even though you're you're physically significantly lighter. So, and then you're right. Yeah, I mean, sure. muscle muscle is still weight, right? Like that's still weight you have to carry. 
with if you're going up a wall or going on a long run. So, um, and typically muscle is going to be a little more functional than fat, but you know, if depending on what you're doing, right. I don't need, I don't need super big lats if I'm going for just a trail run, right? Like that's not going to, that's not going to help me. That's, that's essentially as, as good as fat, right? It's just, it's just adding weight to the run. So. Yeah. And I mean, look at, look at the dudes who are the, who are the, the podium guys, the, the best at OCR. These right. are not like big, strong dudes. Like these, these dudes are very quick, very lean. They're strong, but they're not like big, strong dudes. Um, and, and it's, it's hard to go up a mountain with an extra 30 pounds of muscle on you. Right. Right. What about from like the mindset perspective? I know we talked a lot about mindset kind of at the beginning of the, the uh, podcast here. Any kind of uh, mindset you know, lessons? Um, yeah, for me, um, it, the mindset is the same thing that got me through 2020, man. It's like, it's like one day at a time. It's the same thing that got me through ranger school. Just focus in, in some ways on the next task ahead. Like, like stop thinking about the finish line and thinking about attacking the hill or the obstacle that's in front of you. Stop thinking about like how bad your legs hurt and think about how you got to get through the next hundred yards or you've got to flip this tire a certain distance. Like stop thinking about how much is left and just accomplish what's in front of you. And what I found with that, whether it was going on a deployment or getting my business through a tough time or, you know, um, getting through a really grueling race or something. um, What I found is that helps me get to this like dark place where I'm just focused on what I'm doing right now and crushing that one task. And then it allows me to crush every task. And when I crush every task, I usually perform really well. But when I try and think about the race or the deployment or the year in its entirety and all the things that are going to suck or all the things that could go wrong, it can be really, really overwhelming. Like, how am I literally going to get through this? Like, how am I going to go out and, and get in, in a gunfight every other day or every couple days for a year, you know, like you can't, you can't think of that. Like you can't think, Oh my gosh, I've got a 20 mile race through the mountains and I just did one of the hardest Hills I've ever done. And I'm only three miles in, like, you can't be thinking like, well, what's the next hill going to be like? And what's the next hill? You just got to kind of put one foot in front of the other and keep moving, find that special place. And, um, that, that has really translated well for me to accomplish things in really challenging situations. Love it. Absolutely agree. Great advice there. Now you mentioned it a little bit just now, but let's talk a little bit about your businesses, right? Cause you fairly diversified and have a, have a lot going for you. So just kind of take us through those and uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So we've got, um, we've got ROKC, which is our, our climbing gyms and um, my brother's my business partner there. And uh, we've got three facilities, one up in North Kansas city, one in downtown, which there's a bouldering gym and then our newest facility is a, you know, almost 40,000 square foot full service facility with 50 foot climbing walls. We have, you know, a full workout space, saunas in the locker rooms, a full coffee shop and bar. Um, you know, I think 20 something classes a week now between like yoga and hit training. And, and so it's, it's really a, a full service facility. And then, um, you know, my brother and I also um, partnered in uh, Brave Enough CrossFit, which is um, primarily owned and managed by Anthony Madonia, another uh, veteran guy that was on um, a Marine and he was on presidential security for George Bush. Freaking awesome dude. Awesome athlete. 
uh, was a games athlete with Bricks CrossFit out in California and just um, great human all around. And then, and then we also have a software company and we build point of sale and client relationship management software for the fitness industry. So you got to think like member management and client relationship management, signing waivers, uh, booking classes online, um, you know, coming in and, and getting on an iPad app and, and filling out, you know, your family's information and uh, purchasing something like we build the tools to do all of that. And so that's uh, the majority of our, our businesses that we got going on. But um, huh, I guess I don't really want any more. <laughs> <laughs> well, the listeners have heard me rave about your gym several times because it has literally the largest climbing wall I've ever seen in my entire life. We're talking height, length, total surface area. I mean, it wraps around like the one side of the building and then parts of the sides. And then, I mean, it is just enormous. And I really like, you know, one of the things I really like about your gym, uh, it's also something I like about uh, other world fitness and obstacle course racing gym in Maryland is like, if you, if you belong to your ROKC Oleda, like you don't need another gym, right? Like they, they have free weights. They have, like you said, the sauna, they have classes, uh, they have the climbing. So it's like an all in one facility. It's a, and then the cardio machines. It is super nice. If anyone wants to see pictures, I mean, you can head over to their website or I wrote a review for you guys about on Mudder and Guide. Uh, you, can, you can search for it, uh, ROKC, Mudder and Guide, and it'll come up. But yeah, give, a, give people a sh- yeah, no, plug we, where they can find you, your website and stuff like that. Yeah, you can go to climbkc.com and then there's a tab on the top right where you can click any three of our locations in the city. And uh yeah, to be honest, like our goal was to build a place where you could come for the day. Um, you could get on really good internet at a coffee shop, get some work done, go get a sauna session, get a workout in, take a class, go climb, drop your kids off at, at, at our child watch or, or, you know, just, I mean, you, you could legitimately spend your day there. And, and we do have people that do that. And so we just wanted to make it a place that could feel like home for people, you know, they could come meet other great, you know, humans that are having a blast. And, and then when they're all done, grab a beer at the bar, you know, I yeah. mean, uh, and, and that, that was the dream. And I, I think we're close, you know. And, uh, you know, we talked about your gym earlier on the well, a couple months ago, you guys opened literally probably three days. Like you had like a soft opening, like three days before you went into lockdown, you know, how have, have you been dealing with that? that whole uh, situation. Yeah, that was hard. Um, it was really hard. It was about a week. Um, you know, we had a, we had to lay a bunch of staff off. Um, fortunately, um, we had made some good financial decisions and yeah, that allowed us to keep, um, our, all of our senior staff. So kind of the team that, that runs the show, our general managers and our managers and, you know, our fitness director, um, Jenny. And, and so we got to keep kind of the core team, but then it, it took some rebuilding. Um, it took rebuilding all year, you know, getting the, the membership base back up and, um, and then struggling through like learning how to operate a business in COVID, uh, you know, our, our, our government and politics is not something I like to get into, but our government was in some ways very disorganized during this entire thing where, you know, you had the federal government saying and doing one thing and then you had, the governor or senator here saying doing one thing and then the mayor's here saying or doing one thing and a city council here and nobody was on the same page and 
we have three gyms in three different counties in two different states. Ugh. And and literally some of the counties had different le- regulation than the city within the county, which was different than what the state was saying. And so for us, it was just like a, it was a major challenge to even understand how to operate, you know, how to, how to do things, quote unquote, the right way versus the wrong way, because one, no one's ever done this before. Um, but two, it's just like the, the messaging to, you know, people like I've got, I've got, you know, uh, a gym in one state that might get shut down, but my gym in the other state might stay open. And, and it's like, you know, so, and then, so yeah, that, that was, a, that was a real challenge. Um, I, I don't know, like, uh, in the end, my, my biggest takeaway is this. Um, what I don't want is I don't want people feeling sorry for me. I, I chose and my family chose to start a business. We chose to swing for the fences and we chose to try and knock it out of the park. And with that comes the potential for failure. It comes for the potential for me to lose my home or have to file for bankruptcy or lose everything I have. Right. But like, I chose that. So um, for me, um, we're, we feel really honored and blessed and fortunate that we've made it through this so far. Um, and, and it, it just sucks to see how many businesses have not made it, but like for us, um, I, I, I couldn't even tell you why we made it, you know, it's just like we did and, 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 and I'm thankful for that. But for me, like I, I chose, I, cho- I chose this life. I chose to do this. And so I don't, I, I definitely don't need, you know, people feeling sorry for the hardship we had to go through. Cause in the end, I believe when we come out of this, that hardship will have made us stronger. You know, I, I love a lot of the things you just said. The, your, your mindset from the military, I can see in your mindset as a businessman, right? Like I, can, <laughs> I mean, it, it's like, it, it's like you're taking quotes from my brain and you're like speaking them back to me. So um, yeah, just kind of the, you know, you choosing your own path and uh, accepting responsibility, good or bad of the outcome, you know, that's like, that's like typical military stuff to me, you know, like, especially in, in the special operations community, maybe, maybe a little less so in the conventional forces, but. Um, no, I, I think it's, I think it's really important in leadership. Um, if you look at a real leader, a real leader takes responsibility for their actions and the actions of others, you know, yeah. and it's not fair for me to say, oh, my business failed. I'm going to blame somebody else my business failed or, or this didn't go the way I thought I, I want to, I want to feel sorry for myself and blame somebody else. No, I chose to do this. And guess what happens when you open a business, you could open a business and that pandemic could happen. And, yeah. and like, ain't, ain't nobody complaining for that. So figure it out, you know, like, um, and, 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 and don't go walking around like, you know, blaming somebody else you chose i chose to open a business that was that was my decision so if it doesn't go great like i've got to i got to be able to take responsibility for that like no one else is gonna no one else is gonna do that for me so um yeah i i'm i'm glad we're, we are where we are today but uh definitely a crazy year yeah you know i think you explaining it from the business side of the for those who are of us who are racing obstacle course racing we're trying to sign up for races and races are getting canceled you know that's similar to what a lot of the race companies were dealing with, right? With like different counties and city regulations and 
you know, them changing their mind from week to week and the federal government changing their mind comparing with the states, you know, it's just things are always a lot more complicated than they seem at the racer level when you're like, well, you just say you're going to have a race and then you have people show up, right? It's, it's always a little more nuanced than that. And there's a, there's a lot more that goes into a race than I think most of us realize. And um, a lot of the, like I just said, a lot of those things you said, this will be released right around the time me and Bobby Ross are doing the uh, commentary for my book, Ultra OCR Man. So I think if anyone's listening to this, go back and listen to the commentary we provided. I think you're going to hear a lot of the same things Andrew is saying, uh, spoken from, from my point of view, but, you know, similar mindset. And, uh, you know, it explains why I get along with you really well. So um, <laughs> just kind of got to leave it at that. All right. We're going we're gonna to start wrapping it up. Um, oh, real quick. I want to talk a little bit about climbing before we have to go. Um, you know, I started getting, a, I started going to your gym and getting more into climbing. You know, what, obviously to get better at anything, we need to practice, right? You need to, you know, mind numbing practice until, you know, you just, it's like banging your head against the wall. You just keep doing it and eventually you get better. You know, is there any kind of secrets to getting better at climbing um, besides just figuring it out as I go, right? Because, you know, you, you watch some uh, really good climbers and they're doing routes and you're like, oh, I, I could do that. And then you go up and like touch the holds they were touching. And you're like, this is, how is he even holding onto this wall, right? Like, like I have just my fingertips on here. So give our listeners some climbing tips here. Yeah. So for climbing, um, the, like you said, practice, you just need, you just need to start by just doing it more. Right. Um, but the, the next thing you need to do is really focus on technique. Um, the climbing is a game of leverage, right? Um, it's, it's a, it's a game of taking your body weight and getting it off of your arms. So if that means bettering your flexibility so you can put a heel up and then, you know, press your knee into the wall and get your hip closer to the wall so that the, the weight of the heaviest part of your body, your two legs is sitting on that heel and not on your arms. Like, well, that might be 10 extra pounds that your arms aren't holding on to. So, so technique and, 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 and working on flexibility and understanding better technique is, is, is really, really, really important. Um, but that does come with just like practice and time. There's no real trick to the trade. In fact, the only thing that can increase your climbing performance, um, the only thing is a pair of climbing shoes. If you're in some like ratty old, don't fit properly beginner climbing shoes and you upgrade shoes, that can help increase performance, but nothing else can. And yeah, it just, it just, it just takes time. It takes, it, it takes focus and my suggestion for people is you're going to go into a climbing gym to climb don't bring your phone with you leave it in your car and just focus what you're doing for the next hour hour and a half you know enjoy it and then the last piece is resting between climbing people like to get off the wall and they rest for let's say one minute and then they jump right back on and next thing you know they've done 30 minutes of climbing and they're completely burned out or they're flash pumped like their forearms literally can't, can't hold on to the shampoo bottle when they go to shower that evening, right? So the thing is, when you're going to rest in between reps or in between climbs, you need to get like full recovery, which is sometimes like three to five minutes of rest. You can't just like jump on a super hard, try it, come down for 30 seconds. Although there are 
there are styles of training that do that. If you're a new climber, you need to be getting some decent rest in between your reps. And I, it's such a, it's such a desire to want to get back on the wall after that climb defeated you and, and try and get it. So yeah, I, I mean, focus on technique and, and, and getting some good rest between climbs, you know? A very good answer there. I mean, that's what right, power lifters, when they're, when they're going for their, their max repetitions there, they're doing, they're, they're resting for several minutes, right? It's not, it's different than bodybuilding training, which is a lot shorter rest periods and way different than high intensity, which is like no rest periods, right? The, uh, so what about, so someone asked me this on one of the Q&A podcasts uh, a little while ago. I'm kind of curious to see the climber's perspective. So what, what do you do when your arms get pumped out? You know, right? Like you can feel the blood in there. Your arms feel, feel totally pumped out. What's, you know, what do you do at that point? If you want so to am going. I still on the wall or am I on the ground? Um, answer, let's go with both. Let's go with both. Here. Okay. So I'm on the wall and I'm getting, I can tell I'm getting pumped or flash pumped. If I want to have a great session, I might, I might just take the fall and not allow myself to get to a level of pump where there's so much lactic acid buildup that it's going to take an hour to recover, right? So I might just say, if I'm on a rope, I might just have them take and I might just hang there and then give myself three minutes of rest on the rope so that blood gets back and we get, we flush some of that lactic acid out. Otherwise it could ruin your climbing session. So you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're so pumped that you're not going to recover from it. The only time we really want to get that pumped is if we're like trying to send our project and you're like at the chains, like finishing your project and, and it caused you to be that pumped. Now, if you've already come down or you came down off a of climb and you're that pumped and you're still wanting to climb, um, there are some stretches uh, that you can do that can help to relieve some of that tension. And then you can roll out um, your forearms as well. So um, I like to use like a, a beer bottle or even a um, like one of those metal water bottles and just roll my forearm to try and to try and break up some of that black acid and whatnot. And that might help you um, re recover to get back on the wall. But between rolling out and getting like a solid 10 minutes, that's, that's really what's going to allow you to keep going. All right. Good answer. I like it. All right. We're going to start wrapping things up. I did not prep Andrew for this. So blindsiding you with a question here. Well, actually all your, your questions were blindsided. So now one of the things we like to ask people on the podcast is sell, tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. So it could be anything you want. Usually the less having to do with fitness, the better. And then if you don't have anything uh, that comes to mind, uh, just a random war story will suffice also, because that's probably what I'm going to go ah. with. Um, so uh, something a lot of people don't know about me is I was a base jumper for many years. So oh, really? I did a couple, I did a, yeah, I did a couple hundred skydives and then I made about 80 something base jumps. And so, oh, wow. like I jumped off, I jumped off the prime bridge in it, Idaho it, probably expl Explain times. people what a uh, base jumping is in just in case they don't know. <laughs> base jumping is basically like urban skydiving. Like you, like, like I climbed the, Never mind. I'm not going to say that. Don't get like, you don't might get arrested. climb a random cell phone tower and jump off of it, uh, which is illegal. Right? Yeah. Um, you might, you might. Yeah. No, actually, jumping off a tower is not illegal. Just trespassing is. Um, there's nuance. And, and usually, when the police stop you, they're like, "What are you doing?" And you're like, "I jumped off that cell phone tower." And they're like, "No." They're like, "Awesome." And they're like, "What's in the?" 
what's in the bag? What's in the bag? And I'm like, um, a parachute. And they're like, shut up. You didn't. And they <laughs> open the bag and they see a parachute. And they're like, are you freaking kidding me? And I'm like, no, I'm dead serious. And they're like, do you video? <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I got video. And then they look at the video and they're like, dude, don't do that anymore. Get out of here. <laughs> um, probably a little more serious these days. Um, but yeah, a lot of really good base jumping stories. I, I mean, my wife would promise that when we started having kids, I would no longer base jump. And so um, good idea. when we got, when we got pregnant with my three-year-old, um, I had, I had made one last jump like the month before. Um, and, uh, and I was like, all right, deal's a deal. And so I sold all my gear and, uh, I no longer base jump anymore. Hmm. That's interesting. No idea. Actually, I don't know anyone that does base jumping. So this is, this is a first for me. So let's see the closest thing I could, I mean, obviously I went to airborne school, so I've, I've done static line a whole bunch. Uh, what I say, what people probably don't know is like that's actually that's actually pretty pretty close to base jumping. Like uh, you're doing a jump at like a thousand feet or less. True, true. The I'd say the one thing people don't usually realize is like I hate I hate jumping. Uh, I don't I don't like I enjoy the jump. Uh, I think that's an adrenaline rush. I think that's fun. It's just the army makes it very unfun, right? Like you sit around for a while and. He, and, and the I'm, most unfun. Yeah, and I've I've, I've experienced the least painful way, which is uh, in in group in special forces. We put we we put on our parachute like literally right before we jump. I mean, it's not like the eighty second where you sit in the harness all day and you're there for like eight hours before you jump and you're doing race tracks like sitting in the plane and people are throwing up. We essentially put on our parachutes, go over and jump. Um, but they, you know, the, the parachutes are small because you're supposed to get to the ground fast. And I was, I'm always really worried about like breaking an ankle or busting up my knee. And, you know, especially when I started racing, it was like, oh man, if I break an ankle here, you know, that's like months of training to just go completely flush down the drain. So I just viewed it as like an unnecessary risk a lot of the times. Yeah. I was always nervous. I was always nervous. You still, yeah, I was always nervous coming out on an army jump because it was like, yeah, I'm here. I, I, it was always like, man, why am I coming down so fast right now? <laughs> this is going to yeah. hurt. Yeah. Cause you, you hit like a sack of a sack of shit, right? Like you, um, you know what, what people, what people see, uh, parachute videos, right. Or skydiving and they like, you know, they flare the shoots at the end and they land and they like walk off. Right. Like in the army, it's like feet, you know, it's supposed to be like feet, calves, thigh, butt, and then shoulder. And then you're supposed to like flip over <laughs> what most people do is like feet head though. <laughs> right. They just like slam into I- the ground. So I'm like, I'm like, go watch like an old World War II film of dudes just smoking the earth, yeah. like under a parachute. And that's, and it's no different today. Like, correct. Correct. Like, it's no different. So uh, a serious story is one of the guys from my military fraternity uh, actually broke his back on a jump. Uh, what year was that? I don't know. It was like 2008 or something like that. So uh, that was pretty scary. Um, but one of the guys in my Q course class jumps and his shoot, uh, uh, he shoots cigarette rolls, right? It's like it doesn't open all the way, right? So he pulls his reserve. Uh, he pulls his reserve late, uh, mind you, because there's like in the army, if you pull your reserve, they, they, they yell at you essentially. If you didn't need to pull your reserve, it becomes like a big issue. <laughs> so he pulls his reserve late. Uh, his reserve opens and he slams into the ground. And um, 
he was a pretty loud guy. And I remember the rigger, the rigger goes running up to like check on him. And, uh, you know, my friend's like, you mother. And he starts cursing at the dude. He throws his helmet at the rigger. He's like, you packed my shoot wrong. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's yelling at him. He was fine, but he left, he left like a, a set of boot prints on the ground. Like he slammed, he slammed hard. And he was a, he was a big dude. He was like, you know, 250 old, mm. old roided out type of guy. You know, he was, he was a big dude. He's actually in the uh, documentary Two Weeks in Hell. Uh, his name's Josh. So, Josh Comstock. Yeah. He's in there. He's bald. He's got, he's huge. He's like, he's the biggest guy in the documentary. But good times. That's the Discovery Channel one, right? The, uh, yeah, it was the Discovery Channel one. Yeah. So, it was filmed. Good times. It was filmed. Um, the, yeah. I went to selection, went on deployment 14 months, came back. And then entered Q course. The guys that went to selection and then right into Q course, those were the guys from the documentary. So all the guys from the documentary were like in my Q course class, which is kind of funny. Just because yeah, be- I was in, um, I was in the Surviving the Cut documentary for Ranger School. Oh, were you really? <laughs> Hopefully, you're in better light than some of my friends yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's bad. I'm there's like one time I'm just like getting screamed at. Actually, you want to hear like the funniest, funniest war story I have. There's this like super embarrassing moment where I'm around a burn barrel and the interviewer guy asked me like, how do you guys feel about ranger school? And I'm like freezing because we just got out of the pond and I'm like, at least we're still here. And um, I was, I was overseas with, um, with one of the SEAL teams and, and I was commanding his base and someone on the SEAL team's like saw it they were watching survivor cut and they were like no it's captain potter uh. and so so i get a phone call i get a phone call and they're like sir we need you in here right now and i was like i'm on my way over and i get over and it's the entire seal team in there and there's this big screen in there and i i like i open the door to their like shipping container that they're operating out of and it's this whole seal team and this big screen and then me on it bald around this burn barrel. And as soon as I walk in the door, they push play and it goes, at least we're still here. And I was like, no, how did you, how did you find this? Oh. I spent that whole deployment just taking so much shit. Yeah. That's what's funny. Like the, all those documentaries that have military stuff in them, when, when those actually publish, you people in them get shit from other people in the military, right? Like it's not viewed as like something, it's not like, Oh cool. You were on TV for a documentary. It's like, you're, you're a loser. Like here's something, here's the time you look stupid or here's something stupid you said. And they just kind of rub it in your face. Yeah. One of the guys, one of the guys in my, also in my Q course was in, and I actually never watched it. There was like a documentary about, you know, freshmen at West point. And one of the dudes was, (laughs) he said he was in a bunch of the episodes. I never I never got to see it. He's like, but he's like, please don't watch it. He's like, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so, and the, the other funny thing before. I didn't uh, have a choice. I was in ranger school. Right. Yeah. They, they just show up and start filming. You already signed away all those, all those rights. The, um, when we were, when we were in ranger school, surviving the cut hadn't come out yet, but there was another uh, documentary about ranger school. There's been a couple of them over the years. And we were actually at Ranger School, you know, we were on one of the breaks, we were watching one of the the History Channel of Ranger School while we're in Ranger School Recycle. And, the, you know, the, the funny, they try to make it all dramatic, 
but us watching it who have been through it we're like laughing at, at the other students suffering because it's like oh i know what this guy feels like <laughs> right and like you know you can see guys who are who, who suck or they're shamming or they're you know doing whatever and like we were we were laughing hysterically at parts you're not supposed to think are funny but well it's hilarious because anytime they and anybody anytime they want to talk about like ranger school they always show people like like jumping in a helicopters into the water and like they show the the show at graduation where some dudes like karate chopping some dude and <laughs> ozzy repelling off the tower and all this stuff and then like you look at actual video from ranger school and it's just like dudes falling down a mountain with 90 pound rocks like <laughs> exhausted and, ama- and emaciated and they're just like they're, they're just like this sloppy soldiers you've ever seen because they haven't eaten or slept in like 60 days it's, it's a complete just, mess. It's, it's so comical yeah. yeah oh man good stuff all right well we're gonna get going before we go any final shout outs you want to give friends family sponsors uh etc oh you know what i'll i i, I do want to give a shout out um because i'm a guy that does uh suffer from uh post-traumatic stress and um there's an organization here in Kansas city called the battle within, um, that focuses on like veterans that are suffering. And it is, and, and we actually work with police officers and first responders as well. And it, it's just such a freaking good organization. And so all I want to do is for anybody listening or, you know, any veteran out there, if, if you know someone that like is, is struggling or suffering, uh, if you know someone that needs help or, um, if you just want to support a freaking great organization, um, check out the battlewithin.org. And, um, you know, there's hundreds of local veterans, first responders, and police officers who have gotten a new lease on, on life going through that program. And so if there was something that you wanted to check out and maybe support or, like, give somebody, um, you know, the site to go check out if, 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 if it's something that could help them. Like if, if I'm going to have an opportunity to plug anything, it's going to be that. So. Gotcha. Absolutely good stuff. And uh, definitely sounds like a great organization. And if anyone's having trouble, obviously reach out because you can't get help if you don't ask for it because people don't know you're having trouble. So I know, so I know some of the military guys I've worked with have, uh, you know, you, you start, you know, we, we get into this culture where it's uh, you can't show weakness and you're not, you're not supposed to ask for help. So it's a, uh, it becomes hard for oh, people. That's it. That's that's in like an entire another episode. Let me tell you. Yeah, like, yeah. And seriously. the the drinking culture in the military is pretty. I mean, it's pretty robust, right? Because uh, that's like it's just very common for, for people to drown their problems in alcohol. So. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, we're gonna get going. Um, if anyone wants copies of any of my books, you can pick them up. Uh, Teamstrengthspeed.com. The training books. Uh, the new Strength and Speed's Guide to Elite Obstacle Course Racing, the digital version, is now up on Amazon. Uh, new interviews in the back. I updated the pictures. Bobby Ross from Stokeshed uh, puts them in there. Updated the training in there. It's uh, just a significantly better. Uh, make sure you check that out on Amazon. And then if you like some of this military stuff, anyone wants to pick up my biography, Ultra OCR Man, uh, from Special Forces Soldier to Record Setting Obstacle Course Racer. It's available on Audible digital on Amazon and then hard copy also uh, from Amazon or from my website. So you can head over and check those out. And then if you're interested, if you're come from military or triathlon background, interested in getting more into obstacle course racing, um, my other book, Mud Run Guides, Ultimate OCR Bucket List, also available off Amazon or off my website, teamstrengthspeed.com. 
Um, that guy's like a who's who of the races and, you know, what's going on and gives you kind of a rundown of the sport in general. All right. We're going to take off. Andrew, good talking to you. And I will stop by the gym and come climb sometime probably next week. All right. Sounds good. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Evan. All right. Thanks. Thanks.